My name is Dennis Sheeran. And this is Raymond Steinmetz. And we are from the Instant Relevance Podcast. We are proud members of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you are listening to right now. Make sure you check out all of the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in three, two, one. Coming up on episode 46 of Podcast PD, Chris and Stacy speak with Tony Kiefer and Scott Jones, the founders of March Book Madness, an online bracket-style tournament that matches books in one-on-one games. As for me, I'm on special assignment. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you will have more fun with Chris Nessie, AJ Bianco, and me, Stacey Lindis. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast listeners of all ages, welcome to Podcast PD, episode 46. I am here from my special assignment that my lawyers told me I cannot speak about, so don't ask. But we are very excited to bring you episode 46. Thank you for joining us. Here we are. Chris, Stacy, tell the world what's going on. What's going on? Um, let's see. It's a few days since we recorded, and we actually talked about the changing weather, and today I had a snow day. So, yeah, and the boys had an early dismissal. So that's what's going on here. And as we record this, also going through early dismissal, tomorrow it's supposed to be like 55, 60 degrees. So welcome to planet Earth, everybody. Yep, I was just distracted. Yeah, it's baseball season. I'm good. <laughs> I don't care. It could snow whenever it wants to. All I know is in Florida right now, happy times are, are happening. My my happiness, my happiness. I like baseball too. Don't get me wrong. No, I know, but this is like this is like everything. I'm gonna actually sit down when the first spring training game starts. I'm gonna watch it because that's how February twenty third. Yeah, February twenty third. Yankees, Red Sox. I'm gonna be Yankees, watching. Red Sox. Yeah, I'll be watching because that's who I am. I'm a baseball fiend. There's only one downside about talking baseball with you. We're both Yankees fans. No, no, no. That, that's fine. It's oh. just that when you and I talk baseball and Stacy's here, she, she turns into like Charlie Brown. All she hears is wah, 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 wah. True that, yo. I think she does it anyway when we talk. Just this is what <laughs> happens to me about sports. That's true. Most often when we talk to each other, she's looking away. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. But no, we, uh, we did have a great conversation with Scott and Tony about March Book Madness. We're looking forward to that conversation coming up in just a few minutes. Yeah, it was one of my favorite episodes with uh, two guests. I'm actually very excited to hear what it is because I'm very curious about this concept and the bracket style reading games. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it brings together definitely two things that you enjoy, which is reading and the NCAA bracket. So can we gamble on this? Um... No. No, but that actually reminds me of another podcast I listened to that I'll talk about later in this episode. But there's some voting going on, I guess, is as close as you would get to gambling. I don't gamble. Which we do talk I, about how they don't rig it, but you'll have to listen to the whole conversation. Yeah, it's pretty funny. 
I don't gamble. I just wanted to say if it's a bracket NCAA style, the first thing everybody says is, can you bet on it? So, I guess not. You could bet on anything. I was just going to say. <laughs> I don't like gambling. Yeah, who doesn't like to win free money? It's not free money when you're, I don't know, it's worse than sandwiches. Which, oh my gosh, I got a lot of flack for saying that in whatever episode that was in. My sister, who just discovered that we had a podcast. And that you're a podcast star. <laughs> yes, as she put it. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Uh, she. Hi, Sam. She was just a little um, flabbergasted by that. We might have to do an episode where we just let Stacy talk about stuff she doesn't like. And just rants. I'll just add a laugh track underneath just it. Just Stacy <laughs> Stacey rants. Maybe we'll do that like for a big episode, like episode 50, which is not that far away, guys. I know. We have to do something special. Maybe have five or six guests. We should record an episode. We should. Maybe our listeners should give us a topic and we record something on that topic. And they could all place bets on which topic we'll pick from the ones they suggest. It could be bracket style. Oh, God. That would be kind of funny, actually. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here's Chris, Stacy, Tony, and Scott. <laughs> We are very excited to have Tony Kiefer, a seventh grade teacher by day and a family man by night, and Scott Jones, a fifth grade teacher, reader, traveler, and 21st century teacher for the 21st century learner. They're both teachers in central Ohio. In 2015, they decided to take their classroom versions of what they call March Book Madness to the rest of the world. Now students, classrooms, and libraries from as close as down the hall to as far away as Kuala Lumpur participate in March Book Madness. And Tony and Scott join us now. Tony, how are you doing? Welcome to Podcast PD. I'm doing great. Um, thanks for the offer. It's cool to be here. I'm glad I don't have to work tomorrow since I'm usually in bed in about 10 minutes from now. So you caught me on a good night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> Scott, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Do you also go to bed early on a school night? Uh, no, actually, I'm more of a night owl, I think. Um, I'm usually getting bed around 11, 1130. I don't know how I do that. Scott and I understand each other. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask both of you, and, and you can pick who goes first. As somebody who has taught middle and high school and consider himself to be primarily a high school teacher, uh, for each of you, what made you decide to go elementary and work with uh, our youngest learners? I actually didn't think about being a teacher until my second semester senior year uh, in college. Um, that was definitely not my my major. And uh, I started tutoring um, off campus at a, it was a local um, elementary school. It was a K-1-2 building, and I was like a reading tutor um, that I would drive on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and, and um, you know, that, that just really uh, I sparked my interest, and, and I thought, you know, when I, when I first started uh, going into uh, graduate school and getting my master's in elementary ed, I thought I was going to be like a first or second grade teacher, and, and um, then I did my student teaching in a seventh grade language arts classroom. And uh, I thought, 
you know, I got my first job uh, 18 years ago as a fifth grade teacher. And it just seemed like kind of the, the happy medium for me. You know, they're, they're old enough to, um, you know, be independent. They're somewhat mature and, and uh, you know, but they're not, they're, they're young enough where they still, um, you know, uh, haven't been jaded <laughs> by the real world yet. And, and um, but no, they're, they're, I think fifth grade seems to be my fourth, fifth grade seems to be my sweet spot. Very similar to Scott. I, um, I started off as a um, broadcast journalism major in college. I wanted to work behind the scenes, like production editing, things like that. One of my professors told me that I should go into the education department because I was instructing students on certain things that you do in that field better than he thought he was doing. And so I, on a whim, I took a I guess final quarter of my junior year took a class in the education department and I was placed in a fifth grade classroom, just kind of fell in love with that age group. And the first 20 or so years that I taught, I was third, fourth and fifth. But then the last few years I've jumped to middle school. I felt like I needed a change, something different, something before I became like grumpy about just teaching in general. And I love seventh graders. Um, the only regret I have about the change was that I didn't make it earlier. There's something about kids right at that, at least in central Ohio, many of the middle schools are sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And seventh graders seem to be those kids that are just um, like stuck in the middle. Like they're not, they're not almost to high school yet, but they're also not the newbies that are wandering around in the big building for the first time. And they're just very comfortable in their own skin and they're exploring things. And I love their voice and their attitude about learning Scott, I kind of love that times are jaded about things because that 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 adds to the level of discussion in the classroom. So that that is true. Now, how did you guys all meet? Did you meet because you were at the same school? We teach in neighboring school districts, um, but he used to teach in my school district, and I have a very close friend who co-taught with him when he was a literacy coach and at one of the elementaries here, and and. Uh, my, my close friend Kathleen was always telling me about, oh, when I worked with Tony, I worked with Tony and how much she learned from him. When did, how did we get to, I think we just kind of got to know each other through colleagues and through certain people. What would you say, Tony? It might've been, there's a local in central Ohio literacy conference that my school district runs every year called the Dublin literacy conference. And my guess is that's probably where we met because lots of connections and, Somebody probably introduced us and we kind of hit it off. And then we started communicating with our classrooms and stuff via Twitter. And then that's kind of how the this March Book Madness thing started rolling because we'd share like classroom results. And then we got the absurd idea that we should make a website and put it out there and see what happened. And since then, I think, you know, our relationship and friendships gotten closer because we communicate so much more about the site and about the you know, the books and the process. And then it's just been awesome. That sounds like a great origin story. I like that, like coming together, meeting through connections and um, just kind of building something. I think I, I think I kind of know a story like that one. So it's how all great partnerships and relationships begin. <laughs> I love it. Now, since you guys brought it up and this is a classic podcast PD, Chris Nessie transition. Can you talk a little bit more in detail about the origins of March book madness. Where did this come from? So what did it look like when it was just an idea and how did it come to be? Well, for me, um, 
I'll be honest, I'm not too sure how many years ago it started in my classroom. And I, I don't want to claim that I created the idea. I think it was probably something that was a convergence of things where, um, like the, I think school library journal did kind of something has done something similar, but they have like authors kind of pick who wins. And actually initially the first year that we did it, we had in my classroom, we had a giant, um, 64 book bracket, not unlike the actual basketball tournament. We just kind of like had like, just like the basketball tournament, there'd be like these little votes and the next books would move on and the kids would get excited. And then occasionally we, they got crazy excited because we would, you know, share with authors who won on Twitter and then authors would share back with us like, thanks. We're so glad that, you know, that you picked us to win. And I'm like, these authors are so generous with their time because it's like, you know, 24 fourth graders at a random school in central Ohio that are reaching out to them and they're excited that their book moved to the next level of something that they probably didn't even understand what it was. But, and then Scott and I started communicating because he was doing something similar. And then we kind of shared with between our classrooms what we were doing. And I think Scott, I don't know if this is correct. Was there one year that we actually had the same brackets going on in our, both our classrooms? I think the first time we did the same brackets were probably that first year in 2015. I didn't really start. I think you've been doing it longer than I have. Um, I, uh, I'll i tell you um, where this all, for me, where this all started wasn't necessarily a March book madness, but it was, um, uh, I can't remember the year. It might have been 2015, 2014. Um, I was watching uh, every year. I watch the um, Youth Media Awards uh, with my students, um, which are the, you know, the Newberry and the Caldecott um, announcements. And I've always made a uh, habit, that, well, the last couple of years, probably the last five, six years. And I remember, it might have been, I can't remember what year it was, but um, it was the year that the crossover by Kwame Alexander won. And um, I think El Defo by CC Bell came out that year. Both books that I had done as as um, read-alouds, and both books were very, very popular in my classrooms. And I remember watching, and we were watching, and I remember both of those books won um, that year. And the the, the eruption of of um, I've, I had I have I actually have a video of it. The, the, my fifth graders just erupted when when um, the crossover. Um, got the award and El Defo won. They were just so ecstatic. And I just was remembering how powerful, and I, I don't, not that it was a competition, but they were, they were really cheering for books as, because they just had this love and this, they had experienced um, these powerful read alouds as a class. And I just remember thinking, man, if I could harness this energy um, in, a, in a different way, you know, somehow. Um, and that's kind of for me what was kind of the the, the spark um, that ignited for me March Book Madness. And it was right around that time, I think, Tony, that you had sent out an email uh, to a few um, to a few of us just about wanting to get started uh, and making Mar- this March Book Madness uh, um, a a bigger deal. So for me, it was, it was, I think I, I haven't been doing it as long as you have. Um, but it would definitely, um, I think we came together right around the, you know, it was about, I think 2015 was our first year. For me, that was the spark. 
2015, that means you guys are coming up on, is this your fifth year? Yes, it is. Yes, yes. So it's your fifth year, and El, El Defo did win in 2015. I looked the power of Google while you're uh, while you're chatting. It, it must have been it must have been the year before I, 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 then. Um, I remember doing a March Book Madness, and I had uh, I think Percy Jackson. I had asked the kids to help me. You know, I don't think we did 64 books like uh, like Tony's class, but we did. Um, I think we did 16, and. Um, I remember the kids were picking up books and I had like, there was a group of about three boys who were huge Percy Jackson fans and they had like campaigns going. Like they were like, it got to the point where they were kind of like bribing kids, but it, <laughs> uh, they, I remember when we were announcing, um, you know, March book madness, the, the um, I remember these boys just got up and started hugging and cheering and, and it was just that energy that in my classroom that it brought, um, that really was something special. And so in 2015, I was like, we, we got to do this and we, we got to, you know, and if, if, if other schools and other classrooms can feel that energy and that excitement over books, then, you know, it's all worth it. So I see where you got your ideas for your first round of books. Percy Jackson was big back in, in 2015. Um, and I saw your picks for, all of all of the five years that this has been running, and this year has some really amazing picks. How do you decide on what books are placed in each bracket and what books to read overall? Do your kids get involved? Um, tell us more about you know like what it looks like from beginning to end for each year. Well, the first I, like year or two, Scott and I, we would start bouncing titles around, and then we had um, like a group of. Um, teachers that were spread out across different grade levels and not all of them were from central Ohio that we connected with through Twitter and said, can you give us some titles? And then Scott and I would narrow it down. But then the last few years we have um, enlisted the help of teachers that go to um, nerd camp, Michigan, which is run by the nerdy book club people. And um, we do a session there um, where people show up and we kind of like Scott and I will give a theme for the year. And then, you know, 30 to 60 people show up in their, this room with their computers and they start building lists that they would like to see, which um, is awesome because there's a little bit of crowdsourcing involved. But it's also it that first step kind of is taken off of our plate. And then Scott and I will um, kind of narrow the list. And, you know, some years it, it works out awesome. Some years there's kind of some snafus that happen. But um, in terms of like the kids, um after like that first year, I don't know if it, in my mind, I don't know if like the kids in the classroom had as much input, which was something that shifted for me as a teacher. But, um, they, the flip side was, um, in my classroom, the excitement went from like books that they had input in to the idea that there were thousands of people across the country, um, choosing and reading and thinking about the same book. So they got into the whole, um, connection piece and, looking at the map on the website, like seeing where these little pins are dropped, where the school dis schools are and, you know, connecting with other classrooms. Um, so there was a different type of excitement going on. I imagine too, when you, I guess, take away a little bit of that power of them giving you suggestions, you also broaden their horizons and the types of books that they're reading, because it's not just what they're familiar with, but now it's what other people are suggesting and recommending. 
Well, yeah. And one of the things for me, um, going along with what Tony said, one of the prerequisites for me is that um, we, we definitely want to have, um, a, 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 you know, a diverse uh, list. You know, we, we want to have um, books that are not all, you know, we don't, we don't want to have picture books that are all, you know, characters that are, um, you know, that are animals or, you know, we, we don't want to have all, you know, Mo Willems or, you know, Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. Not, not to say that, I mean, those are amazing books and they get kids reading and they've become very po- popular. But, you know, we also, for me, I want to, um, like you said, broaden the kids, um, a lot of these readers, you know, I want to um, have kids realize that there are other books um, that are out there that they might not normally, you know, um, that they might not normally have in their classroom. And, you know, I've, I've heard from teachers, Tony and I, and I have heard from teachers about how, like, you know, I just got, there was a tweet literally today uh, from a teacher um, who said that um, a, one of the principals, uh, the, the, this teacher's principal heard them talking about March Book Madness and she bought all of the, I think she bought the library or she bought all the teacher's copies of the, of the books. And so for me, if we can get, if we can get those high quality diverse books into the classrooms that's you know i think that's one of the most powerful things um you know because i mean i i don't know about you but i think the quality of of young adult and middle grade and picture books right now is just absolutely outstanding um way more than when i was growing up you know uh so if we can get those high quality books rich you know powerful books in the hands of kids then then um, for me, that's one of those prerequisites is we, we've got to get those, um, high quality books into the classrooms. I love it. And I think you're right. I think there is just such, um, a wealth of, of books that are out there that, like you said, grab kids' attention, but also are of a very high quality. So it's not, you know, those Diary of a Wimpy Kids, but it's a genre that kind of sparked other things, you know, that graphic novel genre has really exploded. Well, and so has, you know, I mean, there's a, you know, I was just thinking the other day, like, um, you know, uh, not only with graphic novels, but historical fiction, um, you know, right now books, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, I, someone told me lately, someone told me recently that in order to be considered historical fiction, it's got to come out 20 years prior, uh, or it's got to be about 20 years prior to, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, to, even these these to today yeah i don't know if that's true but you know like historical fiction like refugee and alan gratz uh and is just you know just ripping these books that are just i don't know about you tony but my kids cannot get enough of these alan gratz books um you know and and if there are kids across the country or across the world that haven't been exposed to those or you know um then you know i i i kind of look at it as it's not our job, but one of the privileges I think Tony and I have is to, to be able to look at these books and say, okay, what out of the, we've got 16 books, you know, what are some books that we, you know, feel should be, um, should be celebrated and represented. And I just think that's one of the, the powerful things about it. I would agree with that. I think when Scott said the word privilege, it's, um, it's also for at least, me turned into a big responsibility in the sense that um, over the last few years with the explosion of the amount 
of the people involved with it. And then, um, you know, trying to be responsible about decisions. Um, I've been exposed to books that have broadened my horizons incredibly. And, um, part of that is looking at, um, my wheelhouse as a reader. I'm a huge mystery fan and I'm incredibly into like dystopian novels and, um, books that have like intricate plot lines that are, you know, based with a lot of tension and action. And so, um, some of the books that we've, um, looked at over the past few years, I don't know if I would have picked up on my own to read if it wasn't for the high recommendations of the people that, um, help us out in terms of choosing books. And then some of those have been books that have, um, been my most like talked about books in the classroom. And like this year, for example, um, the book, a land of permanent goodbyes, it's on the YA, um, bracket was a book that I wouldn't have picked up. And I, read it and was enthralled by it and it's in my classroom and a handful of kids are passing it around and they they're like is there another book like this and to be honest I don't know if there is another book like it I mean there's books that have similar themes but those are things that um are fascinating to me that have broadened my appreciation of a lot um, more books than I would have been exposed to Scott and I are lucky we get access to at the beginning of this process, a list of about like a hundred books for each, you know, picture book, middle grade, young adult, and the teachers that come to the session, um, to a certain extent make Scott and I look like we don't read. And so like, it's just, you know, like, we're like, wow, this is awesome. And then we go, you know, fill up our library carts or Amazon carts and, or indie bookstore shopping. And then, you know, we narrow it down and we get excited about it. And then that just kind of bubbles into the rest of the people that are, that are choosing to come along for the ride. Now, when people get on that ride, it, it seems that you guys theme it over the last few years. Can you talk about some of the themes you've done for March book madness? And since we're approaching March of 2019, can you let us know what's going to be happening with the theme for this year? I think one of the first themes we did was fantasy versus reality. Half the bracket was um, books that were, you know, fantasy, science fiction. Then the other half were like realistic fiction, nonfiction, historical fiction. And that was, it was interesting. Like, I'll be honest with you. I, I can't remember the, all the total outcomes, but it seemed like that year, um, you know, by the end, the fantasy books just like killed in the finals, like the final one, like nobody was into the more realistic ones. Um, but like, that was an interesting concept. Um, the last couple of years we've had things related to character. Um, Scott and I walk this, um, fine line at, at times in terms of like trying to pick a theme that is broad enough that anybody can do something with it, but also that it's not something that, um, that they will do harm to the process in the sense of like making, um, you know, 32 page packets for like how to navigate through the books or, you know, something like that, because they have to, for whatever reason, feel like they have to prove a curricular stance in order to do something like this. Um, and sadly there's teachers that talk to us that they're in school districts that are like that, that um, principals and want them to be able to like justify while why they're doing something that's um, maybe not typical curriculum in terms of reading. And so Scott and I have like kind of looked at things in terms of like 
big picture ideas that you could, like, if you felt the need to do something, like you could, you know, have something to do with character, but it wouldn't necessarily be something that would be um, making the process miserable for the kids in the classroom, because it's not something that we'd want to do with our kids in the classroom. So I don't think the first two years we had themes. Um, I think it was 20, 17 that we started with fantasy versus reality and then last year was um was was character based and then this year um for 2019 tony and i spent um quite a bit of time you know talking about i'll I'll be honest with you last year we got so much positive feedback from teachers all over who were just saying oh my gosh the books that you guys picked were amazing. My kids, you know, couldn't stop. I mean, we just had a real, a great slate of books last year. And we were, we were thinking, well, what are we going to do this year? That's, that's going to either top it or be just as good. And, and one of the things that, you know, Tony brought to me, and I think both of us um, really felt like we needed to honor um, the, we need diverse books uh, movement um, that's, that's, that's happening um, and we, we wanted to make sure that we were just, um, you know, so this year is the character's journey. And while we're focusing on character, um, you know, part of the, the process for this year, um, was to, um, support the We Need Diverse Books organization, which I believe their website is, um, diversebooks.org, um, which we highly recommend you go and check out. But we wanted to, what they say is that their goal is to help produce and promote literature that reflects and honors the lives of all young people. And we just feel like that's now more than ever. Um, we needed to make sure that we, we, we really felt, um, strongly about wanting to, um, have the character's journey, uh, be, you know, and have, uh, a, a wide variety of book creators, characters, um, you know, everything. So that's where we wanted to take it this year. Um, and we're, we're really excited about the, about the, the slate of books. That's, I, I was looking at your slate of books and I'm just pleased that I've read some of them. So talk about being, um, not feeling adequate and not knowing a lot of books, just being out of the classroom. I don't get to read quite as much as I used to, but I still read for my own pleasure and just knowing that, you know, um, this year's picture book bracket is pretty top notch. Finding Winnie is just a love. I love Winnie the Pooh in general, but just knowing the nonfiction element or the, yeah, the nonfiction element of how Winnie the Pooh came to be. Um, there's Nelson Mandela book. Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because, um, Tony and I were thinking about, um, you know, how we could celebrate it being the fifth year. And so we wanted to, um, we, we thought it would be kind of an interesting, um, twist, uh, to bring back all of the champions from the previous four years. Um, and even if they didn't mix, uh, even if they didn't maybe fit with, you know, um, the, the diversity, but, um, we wanted to make sure that it was that we brought those books back. We thought it'd be a nice little twist uh, to see how those fare um, in 2019. 
Um, so finding Winnie, like you said, I think was a, is a previous winner. Um, you know, so we have uh, four books in each of the brackets are previous champions. That's awesome. The Lightning Thief, like I, that's the only book I've read in your middle, in your middle grades books, which means there's a lot of reading I need to do. Oh, and yeah, then, you, uh, <laughs> you got to get caught up. I know it's been a while. It's been a while. My kids are outgrowing parts of that too. My own children. Wait, please don't give Stacy more to catch up on. We're trying to get her to catch up on her podcasts. <laughs> but um, one of my favorites on your YA book, um, not or your list, is the Children of Blood and Bone. That was phenomenal. So I listened to that book because I listen to almost everything that I read these days. Well, that must have been like a 20-hour book if you listen to it then. <laughs> it, it, it was, but let me just tell you, the narrator was phenomenal. Her name is Bonnie Turpin, and she's actually the narrator of The Hate You Give. And she's also oh, wow. the narrator of the book that I'm listening to now, which is um, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. And None of none of them are really related outside of being about, you know, black Americans, um, well, not the children of blood and bone, but, you know, people of African descent. And it's it's just incredible. Her voice, the narrator, and just the way she gives voice to each of these books is just phenomenal. So the children of blood and bone, if you haven't read that one, that would be my first like you must read this book. I was, I, I read that and loved it. Um I saw that um it was fun that she got um, that Jimmy Fallon picked that book for his book club over the summer. I don't know if you saw that or not, but I didn't. I didn't even know he had a book club. He did, and um, there's a interview with her, and she's delightful. Um, I, I'm not too sure how to pronounce her last name, so I don't want to feel awful saying it, but it's like Adiemi, and she was she was amazing, and she just you could tell that she was enthralled with you know like. The, this world that she had built and looking forward to sharing more of it with her readers, but then also like starstruck because she's sitting across the you know desk from Jimmy Fallon and she was composed and handled herself completely well. And, and unlike me who I would just probably like shut up and like melt into a couch if I was in a position <laughs> like that, but no, that book was great. Um, it's a, been a popular book in my seventh grade classroom. A lot of the eighth grade teachers at my building, their kids are loving it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Um, I get a lot of my, my, a lot of my young adult reading comes from my son. He's a senior in high school and he, um, reads like a crazy person. And he, um, he's excited when, even though his teachers, not all of them at his high school do March book madness. He gets a sense of pride when he sees the bracket and he's like, Oh, I've read like 12 of those. And you know, I'm like, good for you. <laughs> like, but, um, <laughs> yeah. The, the Y bracket is pretty awesome this year. Um, like I'm impressed with, there's only a couple that I hadn't read and, um, but they're all really good. The picture books are amazing this year. Um, I do picture books with my seventh graders um, and they love it. And it's a chance for them to like um, realize that, you know, remember like that kind of amazing experience when a, when a teacher shares a picture book and they can talk about it, but then also they are old enough to look at things in terms of sophistication and terms of how illustrations match the text and the subtlety and the way the writing is done. And I think that they're just at that perfect age where they can, they can look at it as a piece of art besides just being a good story. Yeah, and picture picture books, you know, not only do you have the visual assistance, but the storytelling in so many of them is 
beyond what you would get in some, you know, early, early chapter books or um, even like, you know, like Junie B. Jones, I hated those books, but um, like that <laughs> level, you know, the, the level of writing is just so much more sophisticated in in some picture books. Well, and, and I think that, you know, um, I think sometimes as you get older, you say, oh, picture books, those are kids books. Well, I got to tell you, some of these books, and I think there are so many great picture books, they're not just kids books. I mean, you look at books like um, on our bracket, like Drawn Together, you know, Let the Children March uh, the Day You Begin by uh, Jacqueline Woodson. I mean, Dreamers by Yui Morales. I mean, there are some powerful, powerful books that are not, you know, I think there are <laughs> some adults need to read these too. Um, uh, the world would be a better place if people read more picture books. Um, there's just so many incredible, uh, you know, it's not just for kids. And uh, that's the great thing about picture books these days is that they're just – you know, there are so many diverse authors and book creators and illustrators and, and forms of art, you know, digital versus, you know, traditional, maybe like painting or, or drawing. And I mean, it's just the picture books, my class, we, we have the most fun with the picture books bracket, my fifth graders. I can see that it's, it's an easy entry, but it's, it can be very compelling. Can books repeat from year to year since there is so much literature out there? We try not to. This was the first year we ever repeated uh, just because we wanted to bring those old, those old champions back. I don't know. You know, that's some, that's a discussion Tony and I are going to have to reflect on after this year's tournament. Is that something that we're going to continue to do? Um, it's kind of an interesting twist. Um, but we really, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for Tony, but uh, you know, I, I think that if we could try to re- not repeat, year after year. I think that's, um, that's pretty incredible. Um, you know, it'd be my preference not to repeat unless we were doing something, you know, some kind of like a twist or some kind of interesting experiment, but there's so many great books out there. It'd be a shame if we just kept putting the same books on there. You know, um, one of the things we also talked about is I don't believe we've ever put a sequel on there. Is that right, Tony? I, I think you're correct. I mean, I, I think we only I think we only put first books in series. Um, and I'd have to go back and look, but I don't think we've ever put any um, sequels on there. So, you know, I uh, to answer your question, can books repeat? I guess we'll see. Um, never say never, but at the same time, what you know, <laughs> what's the fun in that? That's my that's my opinion. We do we do occasion we do have authors that have been repeated, and then um, you know, partly because they're just amazing and they um we don't it's kind of that balance of trying to make sure that new books are being introduced but also um we do want to have some like every year when the brackets come out we also want some books that are already known like that um either by the name of the author or um they've been an award winner or they're super like on a on a best seller seller list for that year so it's not like teachers and librarians and kids are looking at 16 books that they've never heard of before. And um, so like Jason Reynolds has been on the YA bracket a few times. Right. Jennifer Nielsen's been on middle grade a handful Jack of times. Gordon Corman's been on middle grade a handful of times. So it's like, there's some, you know, potential authors that will get repeated, but like Scott, I'd prefer not to like my thinking is especially at, um, well, at all three levels that um, 
if, whether it's through their own money or, you know, principals paying for it or like grant money, if every year teachers are adding, you know, 16 or so books that are new to their library for that year, then as, you know, four or five years down the road, their classroom library is going to be that much stronger for their future students as well. And Scott and I both probably spend way too much money on books for our classroom libraries, but it's, it's part of who we are. And, and, but we know not everybody, you know, is like that. And so it, you know, if people are doing this and then they're realizing they can't go to the, you know, like the dusty storeroom to pull out something that's 20 years old type of thing to participate, then maybe that'll spur them into like adding more books for their kids to read. So over, over the course of this now five years, is there a book that has not been a part of this that maybe you haven't included, but for whatever reason you just haven't put into the tournament yet? Ooh, that's a really that's good, a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh man. I'm sorry. I remember um, telling you there wouldn't be any hard ones. But that no, was... no, it's not a hard, <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't think so, but I also like, that's one of those things where, um, you know, I don't like as much as I'm speaking for myself and then, you know, Scott wants to say that I'm an idiot then that's fine. But I like it <laughs> when it gets down to like trying to decide the, the last few books, um, I kind of take the stance where I'm not really um, advocating for like any books based on my personal preference anymore. It's just, is it a good book? Right. And so I can't even think of a time where I've over the last five years where I'm like, this book has to be in the, the in the tournament and some of my all-time favorites have have um been in it like um like last year the books that won um young adult um scythe by neil schusterman like that book blew me away and i still think about it you know a year and a half after i opened it up and there's um you know percy jackson and the lightning thief which is um, was in the first year was one of my all time favorite middle grade books for kids. And like some of the picture books that we've had, um, like pretty much anything that Dan Santat illustrates makes it into my classroom <laughs> library at some point. Yes. And so like, you know, it's a lot of my all time favorite books or even new books that I'm sure will resonate for years to come have been in it, but it hasn't necessarily been because I've wanted them. And in some cases it's been, like books that have been introduced to me because of the tournament, because other teachers are recommending these books get in that. Yeah. It's interesting. I have my, um, my media specialist, uh, you know, she, she comes up at our school, you know, she, even though it's, it's interesting, even though, you know, March book madness is something that, you know, Tony and I have uh, taken to the masses. I'm, I'm not in charge of it at my school. Um, my, my media specialist, um, she, um, and the, and the media specialists in my school district have, have been very supportive. Um, and like, I remember like, you know, she'll come to me in the summer or she'll, she'll text me and she'll say, Oh, this would be a great book for, you know, Hey, you know, for next year's March book madness. Have, you know, do you guys have a theme yet? And I'm like, you know, relax. It's July. <laughs> we don't even know, you know, but, but, um, you know, I don't know. There's never a book that I, I can't honestly kind of like what Tony said. There's not a book where, you know, when, when we're picking the, at least when I'm picking the, 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 
when I'm thinking about the the brackets, these are not the books that I necessarily want. Um, I think they're books that might be that I say, you know what, this is an important book or this is a book that needs to be out there. But um, I don't really pick books that I, I don't know. Uh, A lot of the books that I really like are in it, but it's probably because I've read them after they've been selected. Um, I don't really pick books saying, oh, I read this book. We have to put it in there. It's really based on um, a lot of the recommendations we get from the nerd camp session, um, emails and tweets that we get from other, other teachers. But yeah, I, I, I don't, that's a hard, that's a really tough question, but I can't think of a book that needs to be on there. Yeah. I think the only time I really think about it hard is, um, Scott and I have access to all the behind the scenes voting and there's been a handful of times over the years that we will be texting each other or calling each other within an hour before the deadline, gnashing our teeth because a book that we love is getting trounced. And then we have this like momentary discussion of, you know, should we be unethical and (laughs) move the books that we love on? Like who would know? And, and we've never done that because I I look at it like a a Pandora's box that if we did it once (laughs) that we would just do it forever. And then um, it would not work out, but yeah, it's, there's, go ahead, Chris. I I think that answers what was going to be my next question, which was have, has there been a book where you're both thinking this is a really good book and it like it's NCAA counterpart disappoints you and doesn't get the love that it should, but oh, there's been, there's been a handful. It sounds yeah. like they all seem to make yeah. it through. Um, I think, um, I think the first time it happened for me was, um, and I wouldn't even be able to tell you at this point, and I don't want to go back and look because it'd probably, you know, relive the angst, but, um, Jennifer Nielsen's book, A Night Divided, which is amazing, got like hammered in the first round one year. And I was just like, the first or second round, I was like, how did this happen? Like, who's not, why haven't kids read this book? And why don't they love this book? And I couldn't tell you who beat it, but it was, it was probably a great book, but it just wasn't the book that I wanted to move on. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because for me, um, Jennifer Nielsen, again, um, one of my all-time favorite middle grade books is The False Prince. Oh, maybe it was The False um, Prince. That, you, that might have been the one. I think it was The False Prince because The Night Divided actually won okay. uh, a couple of years ago, I think 2017. But The False Prince is one of my favorite all-time books, and I think it, it did get trounced. And I was just like, yeah, I was like screaming at the screen, like, what are you people thinking? Like, go out and read the book. Do you not, you know? So um, it's very frustrating, you know, to sometimes see um, the results because they might not necessarily be how you want them to turn out. But that's the, that's the amazing part of March Book Madness. Similar to the basketball tournament, you know, um, that's I think that's for me, that's one of my – that's probably my all-time favorite sporting event is just because – you literally never know what's going to happen. Um, and it's a one-time deal. There's no, you know, and you, you could, a 12 seed could beat the number one seed. And it's the same thing in our book tournament. You know, as much as I love false prints, um, it went out in the first round and, and it was frustrating, but you know what? That's, that's what happened. Now I need to, but go the difference the is the next year Duke can be back in the tournament and, the prince is not coming back. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. But if, that but Jennifer true. Nielsen could make it back. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, because anything she writes is gold. I, I, she's, she's one of my heroes. Jennifer, if you're listening, you're my hero. <laughs> I mean, she's, 
So yeah, I'm sure there will be more Jennifer Nielsen books um, that uh, will probably be in some future tournaments. I love it. All right, so March is upon us soon. We have a few more weeks, and by the time this show comes out, it will only be a few days, actually. So how do teachers get started? If I'm listening to this on the day we release, which will be February 27th, how do I get started for that first vote on March 6th? Uh, Well, the first thing I would say is um, get the books in your classroom. (laughs) Uh, you know, there, there are multiple ways um, that you can do this. There's no, we, we wanted, Tony and I were very, very specific when we did not want to micromanage how classrooms did this. I mean, we, we have, um, you know, teachers, we wanted to make sure that the teachers and educators had the freedom and the choice to do it how they wanted. Um, you know, but I think the first thing is just to, you know, have an experience with those books. Um, it could be a read aloud. Um, it could be a gallery walk where you have the 16 books around and the kids could, you know, sit there and read and, and fill out like index cards. However, um, you know, with, with pros and cons or their, their thoughts and reflections. Um, I mean, I've seen multiple, multiple ways of doing it, but I really just think the most important thing is to get the books in the classrooms and let the kids, um, you know, have an opportunity to do that. Probably with the, I would say the picture books, if, if they're just f- hearing about this, the picture book bracket is probably the one you want to go to because you could read those in a day uh, or, you know, you could read each book um, a day. Um, but I, that's for me is just, you know, getting the books from your public library or your independent bookstore um, or something and, and getting it um, into the classroom. I would agree with Scott. I mean, there's a, there's several resources on the website in terms of like how to do it. And, um, if you have a Twitter account, um, we use a hashtag to communicate and there's some people, the hashtag is hashtag 2019 MBM. And there are some people that, um, honestly make me look like a slacker, even though I'm one of the people that started this because they have like these gigantic displays and they have like whole school assemblies about it. And, um, in my world, it's just kind of, there's a, there's a handful of teachers in um, my building that do it, but it's not a, at the middle school level, it's a little bit challenging to do like a whole school wide thing. And so some of the English teachers like me will do it, but in my classroom, it's pretty low key. I mean, the kids are invested and they read, um, we read the books, we discuss them and they, um, have thoughtful conversations about them and they vote and they, they get frustrated if, um, books that they think should move on don't, but, um, one of the things that I do that some of the teachers do is we have like a classroom bracket and then the one that participates nationally. And so if a classroom favor gets knocked out in the national one, it can still win, you know, the next round or continue to go on in the, in the classroom. But um, yeah, I would agree with Scott though. If it, if they're new to it and they want to um, jump in like picture books, even if you're a high school teacher would be the way to go the first year because it's a lot more manageable um, the last few years, we've put the, not the full scale brackets, um, but we put the list of books that are going to be in it by like October 1st. So teachers, you know, especially at that middle grade and young adult, they have, you know, several months to get the books in the library and their classroom libraries and several months where the kids can read, you know, more than just one of the books. No, that makes sense. So if I'm starting 
in my classroom, then I should start with picture books and for next year, get a jump on it in October. Yeah. And then Scott and I do, we, we've been doing the last couple of years, like a an announcement day in February where the brackets are um, released. But I think since we've been announcing it early, the latest date was October. Sometimes it, it gets done a little bit earlier than that. But yeah, we usually try to do it in September, just so the kid, especially for the middle grades and young adult, you know, the kids need time to read those books because they're just length, especially the young adult can be pretty lengthy. So um, we always try to um, release the, the lists, you know, early to mid September. Um, and so if you missed it this year, um, there's always next year and, and, um, you know, you can start preparing now. That's awesome. And then you talked about the difference between a class vote and a national vote. Where would teachers go to participate nationally so that their students have voice in, you know, this global competition? Well, on the website for, um, um, that we have, like there's different pages, the picture book page, the middle grade novel page and the young adult page. And so, um, each the voting cycles are a week apiece, and we we go Wednesday to Tuesday because we also know March is a time where school districts will go on spring breaks, and so that kind of Wednesday to Tuesday allows for um, a school that's been off for a week to be able to come back and sneak their vote in before the next round starts. And then Scott and I tend to think if you're a school district that has two weeks for spring break, then you know, yay for you, but don't complain to us about <laughs> missing a vote type of thing. Um, but um, the, uh, so the, the votes, the, like the voting form is right there on the website for roughly a week. And it's a, um, it's, we use Google forms, but there's no login required. Um, we don't want to have something where there's a, you know, situation where um, teachers or a school district is concerned about like collecting information and um you know we just it's kind of wide open and and they teachers do a lot of different things to get kids to vote in terms of um they might have like um like a day in their classroom if they don't have like one-to-one technology where um like one of the classroom computers will be up with the ballot all day long and kids can cycle through some of them we've heard will like share it as a link where the kids can vote at home um and then if the school district is fortunate enough where the kids do have a device like all day long, it's it's real easy for them to vote because the teacher just shares like the link to their, you know, like learning management system and the kids go in and, and vote. And then we have the voting closes for about, um, you know, on Tuesday night. And then by Wednesday morning, we update the, um, the winners are announced that moved on and then the voting is updated. So. That's fantastic. And I don't know about you, but we don't have, we don't really have spring break until April, especially this year. This year it's super late because we are tied to um, the Easter and Passover holidays in my school district. But do you guys always have spring break in March? Um, in central Ohio, most school districts are, it's in March. Um, though I do think yeah. probably the schools that are, now that you mentioned Easter is late, it wouldn't surprise me if like the diocese schools have a later spring break, but you know, most of them, most of the public schools, it's in March. Our school calendar in Ohio is so early to start early to get out. Um, yeah. We're, I mean, my school district, we start mid, I mean, I think we start like August 20th uh, or something. And then, uh, but we're, we get out, 
by June 1st. Like uh, my, my school district, we're always out that Friday after Memorial Day. Um, so we, I mean, that's why when we're thinking about March spring breaks, we're, I, I think we tend to think about uh, Central Ohio because that's kind of where, where our world is. No, that makes sense. I was just, I didn't know. I'm just asking. Finding out yeah, more I about, know. you know, schools in other parts of the country. I know. And other parts of the world, you know, I mean, we have, I was just looking at the map the other day. I think, you know, there's, I think you have a, there's a, there's a school in South Korea. Um, I thought I saw Cambodia or like Vietnam or somewhere. I, I think it was Cambodia. Um, so I know a lot of Central and South American countries or, you know, a lot of other international schools or especially the Southern Hemisphere, you know, they go from, February, I think they start in February and go till November, you know, so um, we figured the great thing about March, at least for us, is it's kind of, you know, it's spring break. It's also the time when schools are might be sitting there thinking a little bit about testing, you know, the, the state testing. And, and you know, I, we thought that, you know, I just think overall March Brook Madness, you know, brings a lot of fun, excitement, um, and it's an engaging way to get kids to enjoy reading and enjoy the experience of books. Um, and it's, it's kind of falls right in a great time of year for that. It definitely does. And here in New Jersey, like I said, if you have a, a late spring break, which this year it's super late, March is a month without any natural breaks in it because there isn't a, a nationally observed holiday and short of yeah. a district planning for a professional development for teachers so that kids can have some time outside of school. Um, there really is no time for, for that. So it's a great way to invigorate and kind of um, just rekindle some passion for learning and books. All right. So before we say goodnight, because we want to be conscientious of your time, and we thank you so much for giving us over an hour of your time, we have one final question for you that we ask all of our guests. and We want to know, what does your ideal professional development look like, either for PD that you attend or a PD that you may lead and share in and outside of your district? I, I, I like professional development in a variety of forms, whether it's um, like reading or attending a conference or, um, you know, something that's more tech related, you know, like self-driven. But the ultimate underlying thing for me is um, the value of choice. Like, it, it doesn't matter what the format is. If I'm forced to sit in something that is hard for me to think how it actually applies um, to my students, then it's not good for me. But if I have choice where I can say this is what's going to have the biggest impact, the like the venue or the medium of the PD is not as relevant as like like me having some autonomy on making the decision. Yeah, I for me. Um, there are three things that I look for, actually. Number one is, uh, like Tony said, choice and autonomy. Um, my school district, just to brag, Hilliard City Schools, um, we have, uh, for the last, I think, three or four years, we've had this uh, twice a year. It's called Hilliard University. And on and they happen to be on election days because our schools are closed on uh, election days. And so um, the kids don't have school, but what the adults do is we all, um, it's basically like a day long, um, you know, I mean, it's like a 
it's like going back to college where we're, we're all in one of the high schools. They bring in food trucks for lunch and everything. And there are Hilliard teachers um, and administrators and people who are actually teaching classes um, and sessions. And we get to sign up for sessions that we want to go to. So, you know, I've got a six hour a day and I get to pick which six, uh, you know, which six sessions I want to go to. It could be one about technology. It could be one about, you know, classroom management. It could be one about how to, you know, deal with parents. It could be one about, you know, our union might do something about contracts if we want to. Um, so it's really exciting because on the, I can't, it's, it's always great. Like, Two weeks before Hilliard University, we get, you know, our district will email us the car, the course catalog and everyone's just going through it. And they're like, oh, what are you going to take? Oh, I've got this at 830 and I got to be there at 930, you know, and things like that. So, you know, just the, the idea of having choice is for me, the number one, uh, the number two thing for me is I want to be able to leave that professional development um, and uh, be able to use something in my classroom. Um you know, almost like the next day. Um, I think it's really powerful if there's something tangible or something that really excites me and I can leave and I can say, oh yeah, I'm I think this, my kids are going to love this. Uh, and for me, third is I think the most powerful form of professional development for me is I love to go and see other people in their classrooms. Um, you know, my school, we get a chance to go around and like our principal, will meet with us. And, you know, if I want to see how somebody might be doing number talks or for math, or I want to see how somebody is doing a mini lesson on theme, our principal, you know, will have rotating substitute teachers and we'll get to go into other people's classrooms and actually observe them maybe for like a half an hour. And then we get to debrief and everything. And I, I just find that to be so powerful. You know, I think teachers can really learn each, from each other if we open up our classrooms and and invite people in and, and, you know, we get to see some of the amazing things that are happening right in our own school or right in our own district. That's awesome. And just to piggyback on your last point, thank you for letting us, Stacy and I be a part of the March book madness and kind of opening that world up to, you know, even more people and, and what you guys are doing is certainly fantastic and valuable. Well, thank you guys for offering. Yes, yeah, so we appreciate this. It's a great deal. So thank you. I re like I I I told Chris last year I wanted to have you guys on and I dropped the ball in getting in touch and I felt like any time after March would be too late. So um, it came up again this year. I'm part of a Voxer group where, like around January, people start talking about March Book Madness and um, especially February. There's a lot of a lot of big conversation around it and um, I think those ladies for kind of introducing March Book Madness to me, because again, not being in the classroom, this is not something I would go looking for, but it's certainly something that I'm willing to share with my teachers. That's in my awesome. District, so. Well, thank those, thank those teachers on your Voxer. Yes. I will. So the website is yeah. marchbookmadness.weebly.com. And we thank Tony and Scott for being here on this episode of Podcast PD. So before we let you guys go quickly, let our audience know where they can connect with you guys and how they can continue to learn more from you both. Well, um, my Twitter handle is at Tony Kiefer. Um, if you want to be or really needing more information, you can always email me. The best email is um, probably the one I pay attention to the most during the school year is my school email. Um, my personal email looks like a um, over 
grown beast right now because of school year. But um, my uh, school email is Kiefer underscore Tony at Dublin schools.net. And, but I do respond to like um, inquiries on Twitter. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, yeah. Same for me. Same as Tony. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is um, at E Scott 818. Uh, and, you know, Twitter is something that, um, that, you know, I'll get notifications and that's the best way to get a hold of me. In fact, that's how I found yes. you, right? Yes, it is. So thank you guys both so much for agreeing to do this. We wish you so much luck. Um, not even luck, just success. I can't wait to read some of the books that are in your, um, in your picture book bracket. I think that's where I'm going to head first, but I have some good summer reading suggestions um to catch up and i'll be looking for new books come october all righty thank you well thank you thanks for championing championing uh march book madness and and uh we hope your listeners will participate thank you scott and tony for joining us it was lovely hearing the origin of march book madness you guys are totally enthusiastic about books and had this teacher headed off to barnes and noble to look for them and i can't wait to read more of the books that are on your list. Yeah. Also, I mean, even for me, you know, it was a great conversation. Thank you guys for coming on. And we certainly look forward to bringing you guys back because there are some other things you guys are also doing, but we just didn't have time for it. But we'll certainly bring you guys back in the future. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, gentlemen. I'm very excited for uh, the titles that you guys recommended. I'm going to take a look at them myself. Um, great interview. You two always uh, keeping things fun. It was all Stacy. Stacy carried the load of the conversation. Oh, I could talk books for days, even the ones that I don't read. So our last segment in this episode is, of course, things that we are listening to and learning from uh, in terms of podcasts. Stacy, I'm reading it, but it'll be much better if you talk about it. So what have you been listening to lately and what would you like to share? So I've been a fan of Tech Mean Ride Home for a while now and... um Recently, the host, Brian, decided to go seven days a week, and I was a little little wary. Um, just seemed like a lot for me to add to my plate. I know two extra episodes a week is really not that much when you're already listening to five a week. Um, yeah, but that's an extra like 104 for you for the year. I know, I know. But I have to say, his new weekend editions have been really, really good. And what he does that's different from his normal show, and hopefully you've checked it out because I know I've recommended Tech Meme Ride Home before. Um, I'm a subscriber. It's because of you that I listen to it. But this this past weekend, and I, you know, by the time this episode comes out, it's, it's a little bit dated, but the um, two episodes that came out this past weekend, February 16th and February 17th, if you go back in the back catalog, were some really, really interesting shows. The first one's titled NBC News Jacob Ward on Data versus Privacy. And in the episode, Brian interviews Jacob and they talk about the difference between data and privacy and what's really more dangerous to have out there. And it's interesting because it's followed a conversation that I had on my PD day with a couple of teachers who, you know, were really talking about privacy issues and we actually went into um, we went into their phones and changed some of the settings to take care of some of the privacy and some of the tracking that Apple has done in some of its more recent but not super recent um, updates and 
you know, and then we just started talking about how really, you know, you should, it's, it's the data that people have on you and how they monetize, you know, you and your interests and, you know, just talking about like why Facebook is free. And he basically talks to Jacob and, you know, about how data and data harvesting is really the money maker with most of the sites that, that we um, consume or participate in. And um, it was really kind of interesting. No solutions, but just something to think about. And then on Sunday, he talked to Mark Gurman um, about Apple. And that was also another really, really interesting episode. Um, Mark Gurman is one of those Apple scoop guys. And he basically talks about... um, what's on deck for pretty much all of 2019. Most of it's speculation, but speculation that comes with a lot of, a lot of, um, I guess, sourcing. Like I said, uh, um, Mark Gurman is one of those. Accuracy. Yeah, that's it. And it's a whole lot of accuracy. So I was super excited being an Apple junkie. Um, it was kind of neat to hear what's on deck for 2019 as far as new ser- new services, new phones, um, and what Apple has has coming. So if you are interested in the data versus privacy debate or in any of that, or if you're an Apple fan like I am, those two episodes of Tech Meme Ride Home will be totally up your alley. What about you, Chris? What are you listening to? Well, before I share mine, let me just also tack on uh, a podcast that we haven't talked about in a long time. If For those that are interested in the data versus privacy I'd definitely go back and check out older episodes, I'd say from maybe two years ago of Note to Self, where they do the the privacy paradox. So they go through a lot of this stuff and there are some challenges you can do to take action if this is a concern of yours. So I'll also make sure there's a link to that in the show notes. That had me thinking, though. I really think that she was one of the first people to bring up Cambridge Analytica I believe she encouraged people to participate in that little like game. Like I if you go back and listen to it, it Well, I mean, there's also the fact that the book that she wrote was written on the backs of the data that they themselves collected on that show and doing all the different challenges. Yep. Anyway, it was just And I don't and I don't think people knew that that was going to happen when they participated in some of the things that they were asking. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Talk about money making on data. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, this podcast will never make money from your data because we don't, we don't care about your any. data. <laughs> We're not collecting any. So you're welcome. As for what I'm listening to, um, I have a little headline here. I want to become a master penman. So I recently listened to The Art of Manliness, as I do at least once a week. And I know they put out a bunch of episodes, so I'm not always caught up on it. But this episode stuck out to me. Episode 482, titled Power of Penmanship. And the guest on the episode with Brett was Michael Sull, who is a master penman and discusses what it takes to become a master penman and what exactly they do for a living. So I can summarize by saying it is somebody who has beautiful, neat, literally perfect handwriting in terms of their script and the the type of writing and script that they use. And we're talking like old, ye old style Penmanship, because before there were typewriters at the turn of the century, the 20th century, everything was handwritten. So people had beautiful penmanship. And there were these people 
who could have such advanced penmanship that they took on the title and could secure the rank of master penman. And I do like writing. I think I do have good handwriting. And I'm sort of interested in maybe seeing how I could maybe potentially become a master penman. I don't know. It might be something fun that's outside of education, outside of technology, and outside the things that, that I do. Chris, if you start walking around with notebooks, we're done. That's my thing. <laughs> I do keep little pads in my car. And I do like to – all the cards that come out of the Nessie household, I do all the handwriting. Do you really? I address all the envelopes. My Caitlin can't write for piddly poo. Oh, then you have beautiful penmanship. Well done, sir. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, so this conversation also explores the history of cursive handwriting, and they also talk about and give some insights into how culture has influenced handwriting. And they get into a little bit about the current state of penmanship in terms of the fact that it's not really taught in schools, and maybe that's a whole other topic that we could discuss here on this show. But Definitely check it out, Art of Manliness, episode 482, The Power of Penmanship. Yeah, and then while you're there, you'll do what I'm doing right now, which is pretty much downloading all the episodes that I haven't looked at since, like, episode 200-something. Hmm. I mean, if you're going to check out The Art of Manliness, you're going to go down the rabbit hole, and you're just going to keep looking at all those episodes. They got, he's got some good ones over there. You guys yeah, know that. and we've we, recommended, we've recommended them in the past. Way, way often. It's one of our favorites. We should get him on the show. We should. That would be so much fun. That would be fun. He's got a wonderful voice. He does have a good voice. And he just has amazing topics and how to get unstuck, 418. Just looking around. Yep. There's some Tons. good ones. There's some good ones. All right. So let me give you uh, my podcast recommendation. I'm going to throw a new one out there, the podcast that I stumbled across called Inspiring Teachers with Tavis and, and Danny. And I'm recommending uh, episode nine. Um and uh, just to give you a little bit of background on this podcast, uh, Tavis and Danny explore the why of teaching uh, through their interviews, empowering stories, current events, and teachable moments. And I love that they actually are bringing stories from the classroom into the podcast. So episode nine, the one that I listened to, was with a gentleman named C.J. Reynolds. Uh, I didn't know who this guy was up until this episode, but I saw that he has got a YouTube channel and his... YouTube channel is Real Rap with Reynolds. So if you are into the hip hop, I would check out CJ Reynolds on, on YouTube. And I really liked this episode because it was titled uh, Genuine Passion in Teaching and Giving Your All. And I think when we talk, talk about education today, we're all kind of exploring passions. And CJ in this interview really dives in and talks about what he's doing for his students. And it was strictly, strictly student-based. There was no tech integration or, or special tools that you need. He just really talked to, talked about teaching students and having them grow up and understand what's right and wrong. And it was just a nice, genuine episode that I didn't have to worry about what tech tool I needed to write down. I just heard a nice conversation between these guys. And uh, it really brought out a little bit of pride as an educator to hear somebody else talk about their passion for strictly teaching students and helping them become better people and i really appreciate this episode so nice work tavis and danny and, and cj and i recommend that everybody go check out this episode if you want to just hear and just sit back and listen to a nice episode that's awesome i'll add that one to my list as well they have some other episodes i mean this is not the only episode i believe that they are 
fair, I, I'm going to guess fairly new. They have 14 episodes. The last one was recorded uh, a few days ago from our release here, so February 18th. Um, so they're fairly new, but you know, from what I've heard, I, I listened to a couple other pieces of some other ones, and it's a nice podcast. You know, it's a nice laid back feel, and there's a little joking to it, so it's nice, a little comedy. Not huge comedy, not like us, but like you know. <laughs> yeah, the huge comedy. <laughs> yeah, very cool recommendation. I will also be sure to check it out. And, uh, of course, everything we recommended will be in the show notes for this episode out at podcastpd.com slash 46. Oh, AG, these are great episodes, nice and short. I feel like everything I listen to these days is, like, hours long. That's part of my problem. That's because they're books. They're not books. I listened to an episode today. It was an hour and 20 minutes. I was like, oh, my God. See, that's also, again, I'm not going to go back to this. I think I said this three episodes in a row. Because, Stacey, I know we're kind of watching each other compete through our Apple Watches. uh, But I work out every night, so I'm looking for a podcast that I can, like, listen to within my 30-minute workout that I'm doing. And I've stumbled across some good ones just just based on the length, i got to be honest with you. No, that's smart. I mean, like I was at the gym today for over an hour. Don't ask what I was doing. It's not. It was hopefully, good to be there for an hour. working but out. I was, but it was. <laughs> I, what I was doing should not have taken an hour, is my point. I was just being lazy, and then I ended up talking to someone. <laughs> which that's was a good thing. That's a good thing about having a gym in, in the basement. Nobody to talk yeah. to. Yeah, but then I wouldn't go. Just so. be my podcast. Like, I have to say, I, you know, um, I was thinking about this actually today when I was uh, at the gym and I was thinking about how, you know, my one word for January was better. And like, I am really working to make myself just feel better and um, as vain as it all sounds, but look better. And I've gone to the gym every single day this year. And I know we talked about this off air Um you know, it's it's nothing crazy. Like, all of January was just the ha- building that habit of actually going to the gym. And I got that idea from um, a podcast I listened to with a, um, on 5 a.m. Miracle where he talked to, I want to say his name is James Clear, and it was um, Atomic Habits. And it was, like, just about, like, starting super duper small, like the size of an atom. And for me, it was just a matter of, like, getting back, getting into a habit of going to the gym. And so I went every day. I walked for however long I, I walked for to make sure I closed all my rings. And then I left. So it didn't matter what I was doing. If I, you know, had managed to gain, you know, get 15 minutes of exercise just being at school or whatever, then I would walk for 15 minutes at the gym and I would leave. It was just a matter of closing my ring for the day and being at the gym. So I'm continuing with that routine and I've stepped it up to do classes and stuff. So I don't always get to listen to... Um, Stuff now that I've included classes, um, and I do have like four books on my phone, <laughs> so there are some problems there. But I've got problems; <laughs> it's just not enough time. Well, kudos to you for as we record this, fifty-one consecutive days at the gym. Yeah, also fifty-one days of meditation and fifty fifty days because I did miss a day of um, of doing morning pages in my field notes, which is like three pages in a row. And field notes are small, so I don't know if I can even count them, but. I write every single morning before I even take a shower, and it's been good. And this morning actually saved me from getting into the shower. Um, 
and, you know, going through that whole routine before they called the snow day. So, yeah. So little bits of better all over the place. So, yeah. Thank you, though. And here's to a continued kinder, gentler Stacy in 2019. Thanks. Have you noticed that I'm just this kinder, softer person? Probably not. Because I've always been kind and soft (laughs) to us. I mean, (laughs) some people would say no. They don't know you like we know you. Uh, but but speaking of love, it's post Valentine's Day, of course. Uh, before we head out, we just want to remind you that we always recommend episodes and things that we're learning, whether it's podcasts, YouTube videos, or books that Stacy listens to. Uh, we always bring a recommendation every episode, as you know, if you're a longtime listener. Uh, but if you have your own educational podcast or content that you're creating, please share it with us so we could check it out, and we would love to take a minute here at the end of any episode and share it. So all you need to do to let us know about what you're doing is go to podcastpd.com slash promote your podcast, fill out the Google form and you could even upload some audio and we will play it here on an episode to help spread the word about what you're doing, creating content. So that being said, Daisy, you know what to do. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our interview and it is time to say, Good night, Christopher. Good night, Christopher. Good night, AJ. Good night, AJ. Good night, Podcast PD. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast PD. For links to all the resources mentioned in this and every episode, please visit our website, podcastpd.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at AJ Bianco and I also blog at ajbianco.me You can connect with me on Twitter I am Mr. Nessie and I would love it if you also checked out the House of Ed Tech podcast over on chrisnessie.com You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at irontech and I blog at irontech.me Connect with Podcast PD on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast PD We'd also love to have you as a member of our Facebook community Go to podcastpd.com forward slash Facebook to join. You can help us reach more educators like you by telling someone else about the podcast. So share us with a colleague. And if you do it on social media, please make sure to tag us. Podcast PD is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators, podcast by educators. For more podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. That's totally him. And totally action. him. Cut. Action. I was talking to Jamie. You can't just think. To- All right. <clears throat> hey, guys. It's me, AJ. Got to record now. Sorry. Leave me alone, wife. Hmm. What are we, Yoda? On 46th episode I he was coming Fuzzy. Up. Fozzy, Fozzy's that's not Fozzy's voice. Sounded like Fozzy. Waka waka. Waka waka. Kermit and Yoda are very similar. Not Fonzie. Uh, no, Kermit is nothing like Yoda. What are you talking about? Hi ho, Kermit the Frog here. Right. Everybody sing. And Yoda is a little bit true. Yoda is closer to Gonzo. Gonzo? No. 
No way. 